Episode 3 of Obi-Wan Kenobi is here, and I've got my thoughts right now. Oh, is, it, is, it, is it hot in here? It's like, it's like toasty. Is it, is it just me? It's hot. This episode is brought to you by StoryWorth. Give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you can cherish for years to come. Check out StoryWorth.com slash Merle, and stay tuned until the end of this review for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my recap and review of Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 3, which is creatively called Part 3. And we're jumping right into spoilers here. There's no pretense because there's a lot to get to. A lot of stuff that I honestly didn't think we were going to really go all the way there for until maybe Episode 4 or 5 or 6 into this show. If you haven't seen Part 3 slash Episode 3, you should really just go watch it right now. You've probably seen pictures of it already on social media, etc., Go watch it come back because we're jumping right in. We start this episode with Obi-Wan once again reaching out to Qui-Gon Jinn. And listen, if Liam Neeson is not in the show at some point, then this is just a very cruel joke on the part of the Star Wars franchise because you cannot keep bringing up Qui-Gon Jinn this much if you're not going to deliver at some point. We're definitely getting Liam Neeson, but I'm going to start Qui-Watch as of this week. Did Qui-Gon Jinn show up in this episode? No, he did not, though we did hear some old audio of Qui-Gon Jinn from the prequels, so kind of counts, but not really. So this week's Qui-Watch, no Qui-Gon Jinn just yet, but he's got to be on the way, right? So after a little bit of a sneak peek last week, this week we went full Darth Vader, which I was really not expecting. I thought that we might see him a little bit, but we got a whole lot of Vader in this episode. We got a Rambo-type getting geared up montage, although much grosser and burnier. And we got a return to Darth Vader's castle, which I still think was an incredibly cruel choice on the part of Emperor Palpatine, or an incredibly self-loathing choice on the part of Darth Vader. I'm sure there's some piece of extended canon that I don't know about that explains why he has his castle above a big lava flow. It, it, it's fine. It's a joke. I'm joking. It's a joke. Also, not only does Darth Vader have a castle, he's got a throne. He's got like a little Game of Thrones thing going on there. He's like the king of the castle, the king of his own little fief. Like, did he did he design the throne? Like, was he giving design notes from inside the Bacta tank? Like, yes, I want the arms to be much longer and I want the back to be 12 feet tall. It's these little dumb things, honestly, that just kind of keep me going. Does it matter in the grand scheme of the Star Wars universe? No, it absolutely doesn't. Eh, but it makes me laugh. I think it's funny. We get a little bit of interaction between Darth Vader and everybody's favorite character from last week, Reva. Reva gets offered the Grand Inquisitor role, which is apparently open at the moment, if she can bring Obi-Wan or deliver him to Darth Vader. And James Earl Jones is credited as the voice of Vader in this episode. And I gotta say, I don't know if they did some extra processing with it. Perhaps Mr. Earl Jones was feeling spry that day. But this sounded much more like the 70s and 80s Darth Vader, even than we got back in Rogue One. Fail me, and you will not live to regret it. I was actually not sure if it was James Earl Jones, but this was a classic Darth Vader feel. We were about 80% there in Rogue One. We were 100% there, I thought, in this episode. Speaking of Reva, and I'll bring her up a couple more times, but there was obviously a very... Um, 
interesting response to her character after the first two episodes premiered last week. And I, I will say, and, and, and I applaud the Star Wars uh, cast and crew and, you know, the official social media and everything else that have really gone to bat for the actress who plays Reva, Moses Ingram. Regardless of what you think of her character or the writing or even her performance, it's really unacceptable some of the stuff that she has been subjected to and some of the stuff that she's gotten. And that's that's not from real Star Wars fans. They may call themselves Star Wars fans. They may think they're Star Wars fans. But if you're hurling that kind of just horrendous abuse at somebody, uh, you're you're not a Star Wars fan. You're, you're a hateful, ugly person who masquerades as a normal person, uh, b- but you're not. And, and I don't think the fandom should claim anybody who's sending that kind of racist stuff to, to any actor involved in any franchise, not just Star Wars. I think the Star Wars fandom and every other fandom is huge and they can house people with all different kinds of opinions from all different kinds of backgrounds but that's one thing I don't think that there's any room for and if you see anybody in the Star Wars fandom that's doing that kind of stuff call them out because it's ridiculous it really is so a lot of this episode was on a planet called Mapuzo, which is where the ship that Leia and Obi-Wan got on at the end of the second episode takes them it's part of an imperial mining operation And I liked a lot of the back and forth that we got between Obi-Wan and Leia in this episode particularly, more so even than the other two episodes, because it wasn't as action-oriented and they weren't on the run um, as Leia was very effectively in those first couple of episodes. There were some quieter moments, and I liked the moment where Leia's asking Obi-Wan about the Force as they're on their way to this planet, because these are two characters that, that never met really canonically in the live action films. Uh, Leia and Obi-Wan, we never saw an interaction between these two. And this was almost uh, a precursor to how Obi-Wan would begin to teach Luke about the Force uh, many years later in A New Hope. Have you ever been afraid of the dark? How does it feel when you turn on the light? I feel safe. Yes, it feels like that. I also still like that we're seeing a very angry and disillusioned Obi-Wan, and that was another reaction that I thought was very interesting that I saw some people have last week was that they, they're like, oh, Obi-Wan is so grumpy, and you know he's not using the Force. What's wrong with him? It's like, this guy is a shell of a man. He's lost all of his friends. He's lost his student. He's lost his way of life. The Order, everything he devoted his life to has been completely destroyed, and I think that we're going to see a progression of this character, but I thought it was very interesting for people to watch the first two episodes and be like, why isn't Obi-Wan the powerful Jedi? Like, well, why is he moping around so much? Why isn't he using his powers and his lightsaber? Well, you know, you got to let him get there first. And I mean, this guy's just been utterly destroyed. And I like that Ewan McGregor is showing us that side of him. There is a weaker side of Obi-Wan that I think is going to grow stronger as we go throughout the series. But as if our new friend was telling the truth. Why would he lie? People are not all good, Leia. Last week, I noted a moment where Obi-Wan was talking about somebody he used to know who died that Leia reminds him of. And I said, I thought it was very sweet that he was kind of referring to Padme. And many, many people had disagreed with me and said, no, 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 he's talking about a character, Satine, from the Clone Wars, which, as I've admitted, is something that I'm not yet fully caught up on. So I, I didn't really even have that frame of reference in my mind. But I think this episode kind of reinforces my point of view uh, from the last one, which is that Obi-Wan, when he sees Leia, it's It's actually kind of a bittersweet thing because he does see in her so much about Padme. Sometimes when I look at Luma, I see her mother's face. 
But I think when he looks at Leia, it also reminds him of his greatest failure, his greatest failure as a teacher, his greatest failure as a Jedi, his greatest failure as a friend. And, and I think that that was a great beat to revisit this week. We also get our first reference in live action, at least, to Obi-Wan's family, because it's something that I didn't really think about until he started talking about it. But yeah, all of the younglings, all of the Jedi are taken from their families when they're very young, and they don't see them anymore because you have to give up all of these attachments. And so Obi-Wan talks a little bit about his parents and siblings as well. Yes, I think I had a brother. I really don't remember him. I wish I did. And you know what this means, right? Coming fall 2025 to Disney Plus, it's the spinoff series Obi-Wan Kenobi's brother Joby-Wan. Oh, I can't wait to see what kind of hijinks those two get up to. We didn't spend a whole lot of time with the Inquisitors this week, which I was okay with because, eh, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about them so far. There's a little bit of inter-office drama as they all decide who's going to be the next Grand Inquisitor, or at least who's going to step into that role. I I'm not so sure that the one that we know is dead, partially because, as many people pointed out last week, the Grand Inquisitor appears in subsequent canonical parts of the Star Wars universe. We didn't see a dead body, so I think perhaps he's just got a big hole through him and he's recovering from that. We'll see if they close that loop at all uh, through the rest of this series. But I like the fact that they're using this contact with Vader as a bargaining chip. Reva uses it basically to say, I'm taking control of the Inquisitors because I talked to Vader and he put me in charge. And then when they locate Obi-Wan, Reva says she's going to call Vader. And the fifth brother's like, oh, you know what? I already called him and he was pretty pleased. I'll inform Lord Vader. He's already been informed. He was most appreciative. One thing that I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop on is that being in direct contact with Vader is a very double-edged sword because you are definitely rewarded for your successes, but you are very much punished for your failures. And given the fact that it seems like Obi-Wan is going to escape this encounter that happens later on with Darth Vader, I wonder what the ramifications are going to be for the fifth brother and if that in any way elevates Reva's position in Vader's eyes. We meet a practical-faced alien guy. I appreciate the practical effects named Freck, who I believe was voiced by Zach Braff. He seems like a friendly enough fella, but uh, turns out to be a little bit of a sympathizer. We love the Empire. Nice to meet like-minded folk. Nothing wrong with a little order, right? Freck does ultimately narc on Leia and Obi-Wan, which in a roundabout way leads Vader to their position. But it also gives us this fight scene where Obi-Wan inadvertently sends a stormtrooper to his death via laser grid. Oh, that's gotta hurt. And he had the high ground, too. So let's talk about the ending of this episode, which takes place on Mapuzo. And one of the things that I like about not just Obi-Wan Kenobi, but a lot of these other shows, is that we get into these little crevices of the Star Wars universe that I didn't really know about. And we got into one here that I really liked, which is this underground smuggling system for Jedi, that basically uh, there are Imperial officers turned rebels and maybe other people that are just in the Rebel Alliance that have been smuggling Jedi through this mining colony and getting them new identities off-world, and also talking about the fact that the Empire isn't just hunting Jedi, they're looking for anybody who's Force-sensitive. I'd also like to note that Obi-Wan tells Tala to specifically address him as Ben. I can't imagine Obi-Wan Kenobi doing anything wrong. It's just Ben these days. And I think that this closes a loop, and I was kind of unclear about my meaning last week. I said last week that Leia wasn't familiar with the name Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I, I kind of said it wrong because a lot of people say, like, well, of course she knows Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's like her most famous line in A New Hope. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. 
I was aware of that. What I meant was it didn't seem like Leia was familiar with the name Obi-Wan Kenobi in the context of this is the guy who saved me from kidnappers when I was young. It was more like you fought alongside my father in the Clone Wars. And my point was, I think that they refer to him as Ben Kenobi around Leia so that the name Obi-Wan, it makes sense why she doesn't refer to that when we first see her character in A New Hope. This is also where we meet Tala, an Imperial officer who's joined the Rebellion, and we meet our newest droid, which is a loader droid named Ned B that is not allowed to communicate verbally, but when you carry a big hammer, you don't really need a voice, and Ned B was ready to go raid two on those stormtroopers. I was kind of hoping that they'd step out of line. Maybe this is going to be a K2SO situation where we have a new lovable droid that I hope can stick around for a while, but let's get to the main event, which is that Darth Vader arrives on the planet and I really hope that Hayden Christensen you know he's talked about being in the suit I hope he was in the suit for most of the stuff I mean as much of the fighting stuff as he could be but definitely the stuff as he's walking around the village because I love the physicality of Vader in this scene that moment where he just kind of stiffens up when he realizes that Obi-Wan is there when he senses his presence I was waiting for that moment and I love the way that they conveyed that completely non-verbally and Vader's brutality in this scene where he is just pulling people out, killing them, torturing them, causing them great pain. And I think it's because he knows that this is going to draw Obi-Wan out of hiding. But just this blind rage and just complete disdain for human life, I think that it speaks so much to where Darth Vader is. And I, and that's something that's interesting to me is we have a Darth Vader here that's kind of an intermediary figure. It's what, six, eight, ten years before the Vader that we see in A New Hope. And he's very angry, especially when it comes to Obi-Wan, who he hasn't seen or encountered since that showdown on Mustafar. And I was honestly really shocked that in this episode, we got as much of a confrontation as we did between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter just losing their minds over it. And I will say that I'm somewhat torn on it. There was some stuff that I thought was great that we will talk about. I mean, like, peak what I had hoped we would get from the interaction between Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi in this show, and then a little bit beyond. And then there was some stuff that I wasn't so crazy about. So let's kind of break this down. I really liked the back and forth between Vader and Obi-Wan, where, you know, Obi-Wan is just horrified at what Anakin has become, and Anakin is equally angry because he completely blames Obi-Wan for everything. What have you become? I am what you made me. And oh man, that moment where Vader scattered that stuff in the middle and lit it on fire and was dragging Obi-Wan into the fire and basically saying, you know, I'm going to hurt you like you hurt me and your pain has only begun. That was great. I loved that. I mean, it was horrific. It was the peak of Vader just being this guy who doesn't care about anything. If he wants to hurt you, he's going to hurt you and he's going to keep on hurting you. And he's reserved that special kind of hurt just for Obi-Wan Kenobi. I loved that. But given that rage that's inside Darth Vader, I also felt like he was holding back for reasons that the show didn't really explain. I mean, their actual lightsaber fight was fairly tame, even by 1977 standards, even by the standards of Sir Alec Guinness and David Prowse doing the fight on the Death Star. And then when Tala ignites that fire to allow Ned B to come and scoop up Obi-Wan so they can escape, I was just sitting there wondering, like, why is Vader just standing there watching this happen? I mean, first of all, he had just put out the same fire with the Force. Just literally just went like, whew, 
and blew it out. Secondly, you could walk around it. It didn't seem like it was going the entire length of the field. I mean, your Darth Vader, honestly, you could probably walk through that fire if you wanted to, or you could just grab Obi-Wan with the Force and bring him across the fire. The reason, of course, why Vader didn't do any of that is because Obi-Wan needed to get away because this is only Episode 3, and I'm sure you have to save it for a much bigger confrontation with Vader further on down the line in the series. And, and I guess if I have a problem with this whole sequence of events in the last episodes, it would be that I feel like you had to invent reasons or just kind of let it be this kind of glaring plot hole, for lack of a better term, as to why Vader did not attack Obi-Wan with all of his anger and all of his rage, other than the fact that you have to have something later on down in the show. And as cool as this was, I think you could have taken those same beats and applied it to what I think think or assume is going to be this larger confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader when Obi-Wan is, again, I'm going to assume, much more in touch with the Force, much more capable of putting up a good fight. And I think that you could have even a 40, 45-minute extended confrontation that could be the entire sixth episode, incorporating the best of what we had in this episode, uh, but also making it so that you don't have to have one or the other of these two hold back because, well, obviously, Vader can't kill Obi-Wan, but it also seems like it couldn't be too big because otherwise it'd be an anti-climax. That's the only thing that I'm really torn on is I think that they had to kind of invent reasons for Vader not to end this confrontation right then and there. And I may have been happier if we had just waited until later on in the series. Reva, by the way, now has her hands on Leia because she was able to somehow get in front of Leia at the end of this tunnel despite coming in the back of the tunnel I don't know if she went around. Anyway, Reva has Leia now, so I guess that that storyline is going to continue. I was kind of hoping that Leia was going to get back to Alderaan and we could just kind of, you know, focus the story a little bit. But I guess we still have more uh, Princess Leia drama going on here, going into the last half of the series. And there's one question that I have. Maybe by the time this posts in the morning, there will be an answer. But I was looking on Twitter and literally right after the show and up to an hour afterwards, nobody was asking this question. At the very end of the show, when, when Reva gets her hands on Leia, there is a dead pilot in the foreground. And maybe I'm crazy, but is that is that Ryan Johnson? Because if it's not Ryan Johnson, it looks a lot like Ryan Johnson. Now, nobody else was flipping out online saying like, oh, that's Ryan Johnson, that's Ryan Johnson. So I only have to assume that I'm wrong and it wasn't Ryan Johnson, but I'm just saying it looks a lot like Ryan Johnson. If it is Ryan Johnson, like that is just the, the ultimate troll of the Last Jedi haters to basically put his dead corpse in the foreground at the end of this particular episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. If it's not Ryan Johnson, is there somebody at Lucasfilm that is secretly uh, against the Last Jedi that was like, I'm casting this guy that looks just like Ryan Johnson. I don't care what anybody says. Maybe this will be cleared up by the time this episode posts. But that was the main thing that I was asking myself. It wasn't, uh, where's Obi-Wan Kenobi going? Or what's going to happen with Darth Vader? Or, you know, where's Reva taking Leia? Or what are the next three episodes going to be? It was me just, like, looking hurriedly through the credits going, I think that was Ryan Johnson. Anyway, maybe I'm nuts. Maybe it was just way too early in the morning and I'm a little bit punchy. But uh, I think that mystery will probably be solved pretty soon. What did you think about this episode, though? Did you like the Vader-Kenobi confrontation? Are you hoping for an even bigger confrontation down the road? What did you think about all of the different other characters that we met in this episode? Let me know down in the comments below. And before I go, I want to thank today's sponsor, StoryWorth. 
as you probably know, I moved from California to Arkansas back in 2020. And one of my favorite things is that I get to spend so much more time with my family. And specifically, one of those family members is my great uncle, who I've been able to see several times last year and this year. And one of my favorite parts is that he has told me so many stories about himself, about my family that I never knew. These were all things that I'd never heard before, and it got me thinking about how many stories I was missing out on. And literally, by complete coincidence, I had a chance to partner up with StoryWorth. StoryWorth is a way to collect those family stories, and with Father's Day coming up, it is the perfect gift to give your father or father figure to help preserve your family's history. Every week, StoryWorth will email your family member a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of options. I started one with my mom several weeks ago, and I've learned things by asking, what were your grandparents like? And what were your memories of the moon landing? Stories that she'd never shared with me before. I really loved reading the answers that I've gotten so far. I learned a story about my grandfather that he used to bring home six-foot rattlesnakes, the unlucky ones, because they were no longer alive. But he, he would go out in the forest. He, was, he would survey forest and timber and stuff. And he would bring them home to show my mom when she was a kid. Just these huge, she found a picture of him with this massive rattlesnake. It's something that I'd never heard before. And it was a fun memory that I don't know if I would have heard without StoryWorth. And it's not just sharing these memories. After one year, StoryWorth compiles all of the questions and stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that the whole family can share for generations. So you can give all of the fathers in your life a meaningful gift that you can both cherish for years to come with StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash Merle. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, to save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash Merle. Thanks to StoryWorth for sponsoring today's show, and thank you for watching. I'll be back later this week, actually pretty soon, with a review for another big streaming series that's returning this week, as well as the latest movie news, reviews, you name it. Thank you so much for watching. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.